Thank you very much. You're listening to the Jazz Focus on WETF, South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station, and my name is John Clark. Today we're going to be listening to the music of Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra, one of the great 
African-American big bands of the jazz period from the early 1920s up until really about 1950. Fletcher Henderson had a band, but the little part that we're going to focus in on today is a couple of months in 1934. These are recordings that his band made for DECA. Uh, DECA was an emerging new record label in 1934. Of course, we're in the middle of the Depression at that point, and most of the big record labels were having a lot of trouble selling records and, and you know, maintaining uh, a catalog of major artists and so forth, Columbia, Victor, all of those companies that have been around for many years, and uh, enter this label called DECA that was founded by Jack Cap, who was, uh, had been a uh, businessman who had been important in the uh, recording industry as the head of Brunswick Records earlier on. And he decided to go out on his own, found this recording company called Decca that was going to be devoted to popular music. And one of his creeds was that uh, the melody needed to be present. Uh, he uh, made a big push for popular singers, such as Bing Crosby and the Mills Brothers and people like that, but he also had a, a very well-developed taste for jazz from the period, and he um, especially liked African-American uh, jazz bands, big bands of the period, and he felt that they should be featured playing uh, the music that they were uh, well-known for playing, the, the jazz of that period. Some people felt that he was uh, actually uh, stereotyping the black bands, uh, having them just play jazz tunes, when of course on the job they played many other things, sweet tunes and waltzes and what have you, but he uh, was important in recording many groups from 1934 on. Uh, African-American bands included uh, the Jimmy Lunsford Band, a little bit later the Count Basie Band, uh, but it started with uh, the Fletcher Henderson Band from that period. Now, Fletcher Henderson was born in Cuthbert, Georgia in 1897. He was a uh, product of a middle-class upbringing. He wasn't uh, raised poor or particularly poor. He had a very significant musical training as a boy. He was a very fine piano player. Uh, he had extensive music lessons and training and so forth as a young man. He went to college in Atlanta actually as a scientist. He was going to be a chemist, and he got his degree from, I think, the University of Atlanta. Uh, after that, he moved to New York City. He was going to start doing graduate work uh, in chemistry, and uh, this was in the oh the early 1920s, 1921 or so, uh, he very quickly found that his piano playing ability made him quite marketable in the music scene of that period. There was a burgeoning African-American music scene. Uh, the great show uh, by Cecil and Blake Shuffle Along was from 1922. Um, Burt Williams, the great uh, African-American comedian, had just passed away, but he had been one of the biggest names in show business. He had been a performer uh, for Ziegfeld Follies, as well as on the Black Broadway circuits earlier on. Uh, James Reese Europe uh, had founded the Clef Club, which was a, a kind of a union of black musicians in the 1910s. Europe himself died, uh, was actually killed by one of his musicians in 1919, but uh, there was still a very, very busy African-American presence in popular music, and especially in the recording industry and another uh, radio show and, and on my podcast, also called The Jazz Focus, you can find on Anchor and Spotify and different places. I've talked about how the blues era started in 1920 with the recording of Mamie Smith, the first African-American woman to sing blues, and she became enormously popular and opened the floodgates, as I said, to many other blues singers, including people like Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey, uh, both of whom were accompanied at different times by Fletcher Henderson.
So Henderson in New York in the early 1920s made a name for himself as a very fine pianist. He was uh, kind of on the line between ragtime and jazz. He was a, a well, as I said, well-educated piano player who could play classics. He was hired by W.C. Handy and Harry Pace uh, to uh, work for their Pace and Handy publishing company, which branched out and founded Black Swan Records in about 1921 or so. Uh, this was a, a record label that was devoted to African-American music and was... Uh, uh, also uh, able to take pride in the fact that all of the workers, all of the producers, all of the investors, everybody uh, involved with that label was, in fact, African-American. And they hired Fletcher Henderson to be music director for a while. And in that uh, uh, job, he uh, had a chance to make many recordings accompanying classical uh, violinists and singers and concert singers and blues singers as well. And he made the acquaintance of Black Swan's biggest star, uh, who was Ethel Waters at the time. And he accompanied on her on some of her recordings, and actually led the band with her on a tour of the Midwest and the South in 1922, where he met a very young Louis Armstrong uh, in New Orleans. Uh, when they came back to New York uh, with the uh, Ethel Waters Band, that was called the Black Swan Jazz Masters, and among other names, uh, Henderson started uh, putting bands together for recording dates. These were studio bands that would record pop tunes of the day, stock arrangements, things like that. They were publicity arms of the big publishing companies. And these were essentially jazz bands. They were uh, five, six, seven, sometimes eight-piece bands that would play arrangements that had been published of these tunes, and it was meant to, to bring some publicity to the publishing houses and to the tunes and to the composers. And Henderson was uh, well-known as someone who could pull these sessions together and organize a band to do a good job on recordings. It was after one of these recording sessions in 1923 that someone uh, told him that there was a, going to be uh, an opening for a band at a club in New York at the, a club called the Alabam, Club Alabam. And so he wasn't really that interested, but the band he had in that studio that day said, well, let's try it. And they took the arrangements that they had recorded, and they went and they auditioned and they got the job. So Fletcher Henderson became a band leader kind of accidentally. In fact, most of his career was uh, defined by accidents of one sort or another, positive and negative. But this uh, brought him to the attention of uh, the black musical establishment. And pretty soon he had a very fine band uh, with some excellent players of the day, like Coleman Hawkins, Don Redman, uh, Joe Smith on cornet. Uh, Charlie Green was on trombone, Kaiser Marshall on drums, some of the best black musicians in New York City at the time. These were all good jazz musicians, but they were also good reading musicians, and they could play a, a wide variety of different music. But Henderson wanted to do some more jazz, and he wanted to expand his band. So in 1924, he made an offer to Louis Armstrong, who, as we had said, he had met a couple of years earlier, uh, to come and join his band. Now, Armstrong was playing out in Chicago with King Oliver's band, but that band was on the verge of breaking up for some various reasons, and Armstrong, who was not terribly forthright in those days, didn't really want to leave Chicago, but his wife at the time, Lillian Harden Armstrong, uh, said, yes, you are, and you're going because this is the most uh, important and best-known band in the country at the moment for African-American musicians and audiences. So Armstrong went in the fall of 1924 and played for a little over a year with the Henderson Band, and he really uh, turned New York on its ear in terms of what jazz music meant and what improvisation meant. His ideas and his swing and his sound and his style and also his singing and his presence and all the different things that made up Louis Armstrong really 
hit uh, New York like a bombshell, especially in the African-American community, but white bands as well. And everyone started trying to imitate Louis Armstrong to one degree or another. So that year, uh, plus a couple of months that he spent with Henderson in New York, were really uh, seminal in the development of jazz and in the big band. Because when he was uh, brought into the band, uh, he was brought in as an additional player. At that time, Henderson was using nine or ten pieces, a couple of trumpets and a trombone, three saxophones usually, um, maybe even two saxophones sometimes, and piano and a banjo and a tuba and drums, sometimes a violin too. So Armstrong was the third trumpet player, and he brought with him another musician from Chicago, Buster Bailey, on saxophone and especially on clarinet. So the band now became about an 11 or 12-piece band, and even with the addition of just a couple of pieces, uh, it gave uh, the arrangers uh, additional scope to uh, create styles in their arrangements that hadn't existed before. And Henderson's chief arranger, really his musical director, was Don Redman, the saxophone player. And Redman is given the credit for being the father of jazz arranging, and probably that's a, that's a fair assessment, although he didn't write all or probably even most of the arrangements that the Henderson band played at the time, or even the ones that they recorded. They were playing stock arrangements mostly, things that were published by um, publishing houses and would be marketed to bands all over the country. Redmond's genius was in altering these stock arrangements and in uh, creating new introductions or new backgrounds or making room for improvisations by Armstrong or Buster Bailey or Charlie Green on trombone and starting to make the band feel the swing. That was when the idea of swing began probably in New York. And to phrase some of the, the musical elements in a way that we would consider swing today. And from that point, Redmond started writing his own arrangements that were much more jazzy and tended to use Armstrong's phrasing uh, in what he was writing for the different sections, the saxophone section, the brass section. Redmond is also often given credit for developing the idea of call and response in jazz arranging, where one section would play a figure and then the other section or a different soloist or someone would respond in a kind of a, a back and forth way. And that's a characteristic of African-American music that goes well back to Africa even and was probably carried over and, and used in slave music and certainly in blues and so forth. But it was developed uh, in jazz bands in the 1920s in particular. So we just heard two tunes by the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra that were done in 1934. Uh, one tune, the first tune, was the Limehouse Blues by Philip Brahm, and that was a tune that was um, composed in the early 1920s that was kind of a, uh, a rage for uh, exotica and orientalia, they used to call it, uh, songs from the Orient with Asian influences, and that was one of them. It was a British tune, actually. Uh, Henderson had uh, probably played that for quite a while, but this arrangement was done by Benny Carter, the great saxophone player. We'll be talking about him a little bit later. And featured many of the soloists in the band, uh, Buster Bailey on clarinet, Red Allen was on trumpet, uh, Keg Johnson on trombone. We're going to be talking about all of those musicians as well. Then we followed that up with a tune that was composed by Fletcher Henderson's brother, Horace Henderson, who was also a very fine pianist, and he arranged this tune as well. It was called the Big John Special. Uh, Big John I think was a was a, a figure in Harlem at the time. I think he was a doorman at one of the, the big clubs. And that was a tune that used quite a lot of uh, call and response as well. And that featured Irving Randolph on trumpet, Horace himself on piano, and the wonderful Hilton Jefferson on alto saxophone. And I've talked about Hilton Jefferson before. He's a very special saxophone player of the day who never has gotten his due. So, 
We're going to listen to four more sides by this band. This band in all uh, recorded 12 sides in the fall of 1934. This was at the very end of this band's existence, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Henderson, as I said, was leading a band at the Alabama in 1923, and then shortly before Armstrong joined the band, he got a residence at the Roseland Dance Hall in New York City. That was a very important job, very large place with large crowds. It had two bands that alternated, so it was continuous music, and for quite a while it was a black band and a white band, and it was the Fletcher Henderson band, and for a little while it was Gene Goldkett's band out of um, Detroit featuring Bix Spiderbeck and Frank Trumbauer, and there was quite a bit of cross-pollination among the, the, the musicians uh, between those bands as well. So we're going to hear uh, these next four tunes, a uh, couple of jazz uh, originals and a uh, couple of pop tunes as well, one pop tune anyway. Uh, the first tune I guess would have to be called a pop tune, but from a much earlier day. It was composed by a uh, trombone player um, uh, and uh, was recorded by Henderson in the Armstrong days in 1925. It was called the Shanghai Shuffle, and Henderson, Fletcher Henderson, recorded that. It came off of a stock arrangement, but it had been pretty heavily changed by the time we get to 1934, and it features Irving Randolph on trumpet. The next tune is called Happy as the Day is Long, a Harold Arlen tune. It was, a, I think, from one of the Cotton Club reviews of the time. This was also arranged by Benny Carter and featured one of the other trumpet players, Henry Red Allen from New Orleans. Allen is also featured on the next tune, which was composed by Fletcher Henderson and arranged by him, Down South Camp Meeting. And then we're going to end up with a big feature for uh, Buster Bailey on clarinet and some other solos we'll talk about as well. This is called Tidal Wave, and it was composed by Russ Morgan, who was a, a white band leader uh, who played trombone and organ, too, for that matter, and it was arranged by him. So, four tunes, Shanghai Shuffle, Happy as the Day is Long, Down South Camp Meeting, and Tidal Wave by the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra of 
That's the Fletcher Henderson Band of 1934. Some great soloists and great arrangements in there. This became one of the really prototypical or prototypes of the early swing band, I guess we'd have to say. So we started out with the Shanghai Shuffle. Uh, as I said, that was an earlier tune um, that was uh, recorded by Fletcher Henderson in 1925. And here we are nine years later recording Similar, a similar arrangement, uh, structured very similarly, but uh, with a lot more swing elements to it, and that was a Fletcher Henderson arrangement featuring the trumpet of uh, Irving Randolph and uh, Russell Procope on alto saxophone. I uh, forgot to mention Ben Webster on tenor saxophone was featured on the Limehouse Blues we started the show off with, and he's featured on this next tune as well, Happy As The Day Is Long. And uh, that also features Red Allen on trumpet and Claude Jones on trombone. Claude Jones was an interesting trombone player. He usually played lead, but did play very effective solos. He was uh, active with McKinney's Cotton Pickers out of Detroit, which I think is where he uh, came from back in the late middle to late 1920s, and he later played with uh, Cab Calloway and uh, Duke Ellington after the Henderson Band. But the uh, centerpiece of the Happy Day, Happy is the Day is Long arrangement by Benny Carter was the saxophone section, and Benny Carter could write for saxophone sections like nobody else. And the soli that went 32 bars there was a classic piece of Benny Carter uh, arranging, uh, although he is not playing on here. It was Hilton Jefferson, I believe, doing the lead, so he had a different sound, so it didn't sound like a Benny Carter um, arrangement for that reason, although the notes certainly did. We're going to hear a different Benny Carter arrangement a little bit later featuring saxophones. Then we went on to Down South Camp Meeting, which is much more familiar uh, from the Benny Goodman recording from a couple of years later. Uh, we'll talk about Henderson's connection to Benny Goodman a little bit later as well. That featured one soloist, uh, Red Allen, but it is really a, a perfect example of the call and response that we were talking about earlier with the different sections, the saxophone section and the trumpet section, then the trombone section, and then the saxophone switch to clarinets. There's just an enormous amount of coloristic change and, and timbral variation in that arrangement. and um, a lot of uh, big band anthologies, for example, will use that as uh, an example of really the first great blooming of big band jazz arranging. 
Then we ended up with a tune called Tidal Wave by a white musician, Russ Morgan, who also did the arrangement. And that was a feature for a couple of people, uh, most notably Buster Bailey on clarinet, but also Ben Webster on tenor sax. And that's an interesting uh, recording because it had been recorded uh, not too long before that, I think uh, about a year before that, in fact, not even a year, uh, within the last year uh, of 1934, and featuring uh, the great stalwart of the Henderson band, Coleman Hawkins on tenor saxophone. And he had left in the spring of 1934 and uh, initially was replaced by Lester Young, uh, who didn't work out with the band for a variety of reasons, and uh, Ben Webster came in and took his place for the next several months, and he came back to the band a few years later as well. So that was a, a virtuoso arrangement featuring some very fine solos as well. Also a uh, interesting piano solo by Fletcher Henderson. He didn't uh, feature himself as a soloist too much, but that was an example of his soloing. So we're going to hear four more tunes by the same band, and I should mention all of these recordings, all 12 of them, were made in September of 1934, September 11th, 12th, and 25th, and uh, the same personnel. And the personnel of this band, uh, in the trumpet section, we talked about Henry Red Allen, great uh, New Orleans trumpet player who had played uh, with King Oliver and with Louis Russell and... Uh, a host of other bands uh, in Harlem uh, at the time. He ended up with Henderson in about 1932 and stayed with him for a couple of years. And then after this band broke up, he went on to Mills Blue Rhythm Band and a couple of others as well. We'll talk about what happened to this band a little bit later. Then we have a man named Irving Randolph, who came from St. Louis, a great hotbed of trumpet playing, uh, and he uh, had or was going would go on to play with Cab Calloway for a number of years after the Henderson Band. He was a, a very well-regarded big band musician who lived uh, quite a long life into the late 1990s. He was almost 90 years old and still playing very well up until very nearly the end. The trumpet section was led by a uh, very well-respected lead trumpet player named Russell Smith, and he was from a family of Smiths who were all trumpet players. Uh, his brother Joe Smith, who mentioned earlier, had been with the earlier version of the Henderson Band in the 1920s. He was a cornet uh, soloist and a stylist at the time. He was uh, one of the best-known jazz trumpet players in New York prior to Louis Armstrong's appearance, and even after Armstrong came, he was still very much in demand as a blues accompanist and also as a jazz soloist as well. Uh, Russell Smith was much more of a lead player. He didn't really solo, but he was uh, very highly regarded for his musicianship, and he had been in bands back to the World War I period when he played, I believe, with Jim Europe's band, uh, his service band, and then with W.C. Handy's band as well. And then he played with virtually every African-American band in the 1920s and then ended up with uh, Cab Calloway and then out on the West Coast, I think, doing some studio work into the 1960s. The trombone players were Claude Jones, who I just mentioned, had played with uh, McKinney's Cotton Pickers and later went with uh, both Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington, and Keg Johnson, who was a very fine jazz player, who uh, not terribly well known. He was uh, doing recordings at this period with Henderson and some other groups as well, but he was uh, very much at home in this style and a very fine soloist as well. In the saxophone section on lead alto, we had Hilton Jefferson, who I mentioned, a very fine lead alto player and a very good soloist as well. Russell Prokop played alto uh, as well. He uh, had played with Jelly Roll Morton and, uh, again, a number of Harlem bands before he went on to John Kirby's uh, sextet in the late 1930s and stayed with him through the World War II years. And then shortly after that, joined Duke Ellington and stayed with him for 
uh, almost 30 years. Uh, he was a, a very well-regarded musician as well. Then we have Buster Bailey playing all the clarinet solos and playing uh, tenor saxophone in the section. He had been a clarinet player back to the WC Handy days as well, and as I said, he came to New York with Louis Armstrong in 1924. A very technical clarinet player, and uh, a player who was uh, able to fit in a lot of different styles. He actually uh, died while he was a member of the Louis Armstrong All-Stars in the 1960s. He played Dixieland, he played swing, he was a good classical player too, and he too played in the uh, John Kirby band with Russell Proko. And then on tenor sax as a soloist was Ben Webster, who was pretty young at the time. He had played with that 1932 Ben Benny Moten band. Uh, he had played with Andy Kirk. Uh, he had played a little bit with Count Basie out in uh, Kansas City. And he came uh, east to play with the uh, Henderson band. He then went on and played with Callaway and with Willie Bryant and then finally with Duke Ellington in that great 1940-41 band. So three of those bands that I mentioned as being classic uh, examples of the big band era uh, featured Ben Webster, the Moton Band of 1932, this Henderson Band of 1934, and the Ellington Band of 1940. So you get a feeling of how important he was to jazz history. The rhythm section was either Fletcher or Horace Henderson on piano. Horace was probably the better jazz pianist, uh, but Fletcher was a, not, not, not a bad player and a pretty good stride player in his day, and they were both good arrangers as well. Lawrence Lucy was the guitar player. He lived to be almost 102. He died in, I think, 2005 or somewhere around then. Um, and he, uh, I, I actually got to meet him at a festival uh, in the late 1990s. A little old man with a play, with a big dark suit on, and it was about 110 degrees out. And uh, he would sit down and play a great rhythm guitar with uh, the Harlem Blues and Jazz Band. So he was playing right up to the end as well. Elmer James was the bass player, a good four-beat bass player. And the rhythm section was rounded out and anchored by Walter Johnson, a very underrated drummer. Uh, he played with the Henderson Band and with some other Harlem bands of the time and uh, played uh, continuously into the 1970s, but his heyday was the 1930s with the Henderson Band, the early 30s as well as this band and even a little bit later. He might have been a big influence on Joe Jones with the Count Basie Band. He played that very light, um, forward-moving style, which gave this band a lot of the swing idea that we've been talking about. So let's go on to four more tunes. Uh, we're going to hear a Fletcher Henderson composition now that was another one that was recorded by Benny Goodman called Wrapping It Up. And this is a Fletcher Henderson arrangement, uh, features Red Allen on trumpet. Uh, we can tell the difference a little bit between Red Allen and Irving Randolph. Allen took some more chances. He, he played some very modern-sounding trumpet ideas for 1934, but Irving Randolph wasn't far behind. Uh, there was one solo, I think Shanghai Shuffle, that is credited to Randolph, and that's what I said, but it could just as well be Red Allen on that one, a very interesting solo on that number. So wrapping it up will feature Red Allen. The Memphis Blues, the W.C. Handy tune in a very modern swing arrangement, which will feature Keg Johnson on trombone and uh, Russell Prokop on alto, as well as Ben Webster on tenor. Rug Cutter's Swing, arranged by Horace Henderson. Also, um, I should mention Memphis Blues was arranged by Fletcher Henderson. Rug Cutter's Swing will feature uh, Keg Johnson and Red Allen, and we'll end up with Wild Party, another uh, Russ Morgan arrangement of a tune that was composed by Will Hudson, a white band leader who was also a songwriter. He composed Moon Glow, and he was part of the leadership of a, the Hudson and Delange band from this period. And that will feature Red Allen and some other solos we'll talk about. So, wrapping it up, Memphis Blues, Rugcutter Swing, and Wild Party by the Fletcher Henderson Band. <laughs> ¶¶ 
So there's the Fletcher Henderson Band, very exciting group using all of those new elements of the swing era, just about to start. The swing era really didn't start for another year until Benny Goodman got his band going, and Benny Goodman uh, owed and, and credited a lot of his earlier success to Fletcher Henderson. This band that we're talking about right now, the Henderson Band of 1934, broke up just about a month after these recordings. Uh, Henderson was not a good businessman, and um, the band business wasn't in terribly good shape at that point, and the band just ran out of gigs, basically, in November of 1934, and almost all of the musicians went with Benny Carter. We're going to hear Benny Carter um, on one of the next tunes coming up, and as I said, we've heard one Benny Carter arrangement, soon to be two, so he obviously had a hand in this band, and he took over most of the musicians, and Henderson... Um, was going to go into some sort of retirement, but uh, he was actually brought out to fulfill some other band dates with a different band, and he started arranging for Benny Goodman on his first radio program, the Let's Dance program, which began in January of 1935, and Henderson's arrangements were a big part of Goodman's success. He uh, or arranged new tunes, but also brought some of his older tunes and arrangements to Goodman as well, things like Down South Camp Meeting and Wrapping It Up, King Porter Stomp, things like that. Anyway, um, as I said, most of the band went with Benny Carter, and they even did a recording date uh, not too long after the last one with Henderson. A couple of them, uh, Red Allen and uh, Lawrence Lucy uh, and Buster Bailey, went with the Mills Blue Rhythm Band. Claude Jones and a little bit later Keg Johnson went with the Cab Calloway Band and both stayed there for quite a while. But um, all of these musicians uh, were unique, or I should say this band was unique in that all of the musicians were very effective soloists. Usually in a big band, lead players didn't solo too well or too much. Um, the only person we didn't hear in solo on these recordings was Russell Smith, the lead trumpet player. Both trumpet players, both trombone players, all the saxophone players, two pianos, um, all, all taking good solos on here. So we heard Wrapping It Up featuring Red Allen and Hilton Jefferson, Memphis Blues featuring Keg Johnson, Russell Proko, Ben Webster, and Irving Randolph, Rug Cutter's Swing, a tune by Horace Henderson and arranged by him, featured Red Allen at the beginning and end, Buster Bailey on clarinet, and Keg Johnson again on trombone. We finished up with Wild Party, kind of a wild arrangement by Russ Morgan with Red Allen, Keg Johnson, Buster Bailey, Russell Procope, and Ben Webster all featured in there as well. So as I said, the Henderson band broke up and Henderson went with Benny Goodman. After about a year, he got the band leading bug again, put another group together, a more modern sounding group with Red, or excuse me, with Roy Eldridge and Chew Berry. That was known as the Christopher Columbus Band because that was their big hit, Christopher Columbus, the tune in 1936-37. And then Henderson led bands into the mid to late 40s, still did arrangements for different people, and he uh, had a couple of strokes in the late 40s and early 50s and, and died, uh, I believe, in about 1952. So we're going to hear two more, and uh, I'm going to sign off right now before I do it, so we can bring the music right up to the end of the show. We're going to hear a Horace Henderson tune and arrangement called Hotter Than L, E-L-L, featuring Red Allen, and then the interesting, uh, or the curiosity of the date, Liza, the George Gershwin tune that uh, was recorded uh, by many stride piano players, and also a classical saxophone player named Al Galadoro, who fashioned some saxophone variations that we're going to hear played a little bit by Benny Carter, who also arranged, and he was guest starring on this recording. We'll hear him in the alto sax solo. Russell Proko plays a later alto solo, thankless task of following Benny Carter. Irving Randolph, Horace Henderson, 
plays piano in the middle, but Fletcher Henderson starts and ends with their piano breaks, and uh, Keg Johnson on trombone. So again, this is the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and you are listening to WETF in South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station, and we hope you've enjoyed the show and some good swinging music by Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra from 1934. So we're going to take you out with Hotter Than L and Liza.